All right, we're going to take just a few minutes here, and we're going to talk about missions a little bit, and then we'll break up and, and go and get in our groups and, and pray for missions. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. It'll just take us a minute to get there. So you can be turning there, and, and I'll uh, kind of lead us to get there, because I want to give you a quick overview and make a couple, uh, a couple comments as we go. Lucifer was created to lead worship to God on earth in the original creation. If you've been with us on Sunday mornings, you, you heard that just recently, and, and Sam has walked us through that and how uh, he had a role. He was given a responsibility over the land and the inhabitants to lead them in worshiping God. So he had a very specific place and a very specific role, and, and he was doing that for a while, and then he rebelled, and as a result, he lost his dominion, his responsibility, and even his land. And then God did this big remodel project on the earth, and, and he gives it to Adam. And Adam was given to a, you know, a very specific geography was given to Adam. A garden was planted eastward in Eden, and he was given that to tend. Uh, and though he was also given the command to re replenish the entire earth and to subdue it, he still had uh, the earth as a whole, but more specifically, he had a garden. And he, and he was given that work. And what I want to say, first of all, is, is this, and this is the first thing on your notes, where you are matters to God. We see from the very beginning of creation that God was very specific with where he put his, creator, his creations. And he gave them a place. Adam had a very specific place, as did Lucifer. And some of you will realize that as God is working in your life, that God will call you to move into a different geographical location. That will be the reality for some people in this room over the next uh, one year for some and five and ten and twenty years down the road. And this is what we want and this is what we pray for. And it will be specific as God speaks to your heart and leads you and you will know that he is calling you to go. God also created you in a very specific place. You were born in a specific place, and that was by God's design, and then somehow, through whatever means, you also wound up in this place, in Kansas City, and even in this church here tonight. And so where you are does matter to God. It's not the biggest thing, and it's not the most important thing, but it does. But number two, what's important about it is this, is that where you are is where you are to work. Okay? Where you are is where you are to work. So you are here. And so that means there's a job for you to do here as well. There is a fit for you at Midtown, and there is space for you in the family, and there is definitely room at the plow that you can put your hands to as well and get to work. There is a job for you here. God designed you just as he did Lucifer and just as he did Adam and just as he did all of us to have a specific role in his work and right now, it's in this place. So if this is where you are, then this is where you should get to work. As you know how the story continues to go, Adam sins and he gets kicked out of the garden. God curses man, God curses the earth, God curses the serpent. And he promises the serpent one thing. He says, the seed of the woman will one day destroy you. He's going to crush your head. And so a seed becomes important, especially if you're a serpent. And all of mankind follows suit and dives right into sin. And you get to Genesis 6, and only one man is perfect in his generations. His name was Noah. And God floods the earth and starts over with him and his family. 
And they get out of the ark, and, and one of Noah's sons, his name is Ham, he in, engages in a sin so grievous that God curses his son for it. He curses Canaan over Ham's sin. Now that's when you get up to Genesis chapter 9, uh, at our current pace. Uh, we'll be there in about six years. So if you have questions about that, you just hold on to those, just file them in the back of your mind. And then uh, Sam will cover those when he gets there in about six years. So just hold on to them. Keep this tape handy. You can play it back and be like, oh yeah, I had that question. Canaan goes out from that place after that incident, and he inhabits a particular land, a specific geography, and, and him, and, and, and he develops a, a city and a people, and they're known as the Canaanites, and they have a land, and, and then you keep moving through history, and in Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man named Abram to leave his land, Ur of the Chaldees, and to go into a very specific land, which was the land of Canaan. And God promises to make a great nation of him, and to give him that particular land. So geography becomes very important in, in, uh, you know, in, in the story and the narrative that God is writing throughout the Old Testament. He tells Abraham that he will make a, out of him a, a, a nation. Uh, and eventually he, he makes a promise that it will be a nation that will be as, as numerous as the stars and the sand. And it will be a never-ending nation. And that they will have a specific piece of land where they will dwell. It is interesting to me that, uh, that when Canaan struck out on his own, he went and he settled in this particular land. That the cursed man fills the land that God will one day give to his own people. Right? So now the stage has been set. By the time you get there, the stage has been set for the rest of the Old Testament and for the rest of the narrative of a battle for a kingdom. This, this battle for a kingdom uh, you know, in the Old Testament from a kingdom of heaven perspective was centered on two things, especially if you're the serpent. In the Old Testament, you, you saw the kingdom uh, through these two lenses, a land and a lineage. God had made a promise to give a land to the people, and God had also promised that the seed of the woman would be the one to crush him. And so from the serpent's perspective, he now has a game plan. And God took it from not just being the whole earth, but now a very specific place, and no longer was it just the seed of a woman, but the seed of one specific man who, who it would be. And since God declared that these two things were important to him, Satan responds by saying, well, then these two things are important to me too. Not because he independently finds value in either one of them, but because he finds great value in fighting against what God is doing. And when God said, this land is important to me, Satan said, well, watch this. I'll put my people there first. I'll claim it. When God said, a seed, uh, uh, the seed of a woman will destroy you, he said, well, watch this. I'll attack it. We'll get there too. A few years. Genesis 6. So throughout history, Satan's plan was centered, at least throughout Old Testament history, Satan's plan is centered on these two tactics, to control the geography and to control the Jew. And I said it like that because to your ear it sounds good, you know, that, that alliteration thing, but then when you write it, you're like, wait, geography is a G and Jew is a J. <laughs> but they sound the same. So maybe just write it with a J. <laughs> write it phonetically. And this is what he does. 
Satan wants to come in and, and control areas and control land and control the people, if we were to broaden that. He wants to have his hand in what the people are doing. And so the history of missions is a history of the battle for a kingdom. If we were to look at what missions is and, and take it back as far as we can, that's exactly what the history of missions is. It's the battle for a kingdom. And so missions support is battle support, is warfare support. And so missions is a battle for land and a battle for people, especially as you work your way through the Old Testament. Now, uh, spoiler alert, as you get into the New Testament, the seed, we find out that one particular man from that line comes to that particular land, gives his life a ransom for many, is buried in that land, but that land can't hold him. He resurrects up out of it and is like, curse no more, I have victory over sin and death. Now that is, that is also Jesus Christ, okay? So spoiler alert, the seed also then becomes spiritual. Oh, crazy. I'm part of it too and you can be, all right? So, but here's what was going on all through the Old Testament as we're leading up to this. So Abraham was told to walk the land in Genesis 13, to lay claim to the land that God had promised to give him. What he had to do was to put his feet on it and the length and the breadth of it and to walk through it. And as he did that, he was laying claim to that, that, that land. But that command from God himself was a declaration of war. Because where do we find Satan in Job chapter 1? He shows up before the Lord, and the Lord asks him, where have you been? And Satan says, I've been walking to and fro across this earth. Why? Because it's mine. And I'm staking out my claim. And he says, I'm laying my feet on this earth just so you know that this is my territory. And God said, Abraham, you go walk through that and you claim that. <laughs> That's a battle cry. That's God letting Satan know we're going to do something here. We're coming to take your land from you. You see, we, we see the way that plays out even today when we, when we talked about moving into Midtown, we, uh, we were told and we were warned that nothing good happens at 40 and Walnut, 40th and Walnut because that is Satan's seat, because Satan has control of that space, this geographical location of 40 and Walnut. Nothing will happen. Well, then let's get on our knees and start praying and let's see what we can allow God to do through us in this place. 1 Peter 5.8 5, says the same thing, that he is a, a, a lion walking about and seeking to devour. So again, just going throughout the land. A couple weeks ago, Braden came up to me and he said, uh, he said I'm going to start a Bible study at KU. Yeah, that's good. And he followed it up by saying, we're going to reclaim territory from Satan. And I was like, bingo. Because that's exactly what you're doing. When you make a declaration that says, I'm going to start a Bible study. I'm going to go plant a church in Tampa. I'm going to go to, to Boston to plant a church. You are making a declaration of war. And you are telling the enemy, I am coming into your territory to reclaim turf that you think belongs to you. I love it when Braden told me that. I was like, yeah. I mean, you know Braden. Braden wanted to pick a fight just for the fun of it, it seems like. But... But that was right in that time. I mean, no, he's like a teddy bear. He's not a fight picker. He's not a brawler. I don't want to. Just looks like he could rip a bear in half. He asked me to be a, a faculty sponsor because I work for KU. And I'm like, sure, like, that's easy. 
oh, I got to sign this paper once a year that says this is a legit thing in the eyes of the University of Kansas. But you know what? You know, when, I, when I said yes, when I agreed to, to partake in that uh, activity with him, I wasn't just saying yes to sign my name to a paper. I was saying yes to entering into a warfare. I've signed my name onto a contract that says I am helping Braden and those men and whoever else is a part of it reclaim territory that Satan has laid hold on. And I'll do it, man. Yeah, put my name on that paper. I'm in. Let's reclaim territory. I'm doing it. I'm doing a lot more than signing a paper. So rallying support uh, it, it, you know, is, uh, and we talk about mission support. The same, the same kind of idea came out in World War I as the U.S. military recruited young men for service. Civilians were called upon to do their part by buying war bonds, donating to charity, or if they worked in industry, to, you know, to use that for the benefit of the war, going the extra mile for the troops. And, yeah, you know some of those images. But this was it. The call was, in whatever way you can, you need to join. You're not old enough to enlist. Well, start knitting sweaters for the soldiers. Or, you know, at that time it was like, you're a woman. You can't enlist. So do something. And the call was this. Whatever you can do, do it for the war. What if we took that mindset? Whatever I can do, I'm going to do it for the war. What's the war? The war is for, to reclaim land from the enemy, not just land. The, the war is for reclaiming souls from the enemy. Why is it so hard in Boston? Because Satan has claimed that. He's set up a, a, a center of, an, you know, of intellectual pursuits and intelligence. He's like, this will be a hub for really smart people. And so people there are too smart for, for, for common people like us. Or whatever, Satan has a lot of tactics in a lot of ways, and you go into Boston, and you don't go in there and say, we're here, we're starting a church, and then people come. No, you go in there ready to fight and ready to go to war. And so that's the idea that runs through the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 32, so that land was promised. Don't turn there, I'm just going to tell you what happens. The tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh say, hey, you know what, we actually don't want to cross Jordan and go into the land. We want to settle over here. It becomes kind of a big deal. It gets sorted out. Uh, and the deal is made is this, is Moses is like, cool, you can stay over here, but when your brothers go into the land, you have to go in and fight with them. That's the deal. Then you get this land. So they get their land early. All right? They're already settled because they're over here. They're, they're, little, they're a few days ahead or what, however long the timeline goes. But in terms of what I want us to look at tonight, that's us. That's Midtown Baptist Temple. Okay? We're Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh. Meaning, we've had time to come into our land and, and to settle. We've said, this is our spot. This is the land that, that God has led us to reclaim. And so we've, we, we've been working for you know, 15 years to let God do something in this place. And, and, and it was hard work. And then you know, the momentum got going. And now here we are. And, and so we're a little bit ahead. But here's what happens in, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 12. And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Spake Joshua, saying, "Remember the word, well, yeah, the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest, and hath given you this land. You've already got yours. Now listen, your wives and your little ones and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side Jordan, but, but ye shall pass before your brethren, armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them, until the Lord have given your brethren rest." 
and he hath given, as he hath given you. And so this is what God is, is calling us to do in terms of mission support real quickly. We are those, the ones who, have, who are a little farther ahead. But listen, now God has called Mike to go to Boston, and here's what God wants to remind us. Listen, Midtown, you have come a little farther along, and you're a little farther into your rest, but your brethren are going to war. You have to go with them. Mark Schaefer is going to go to Tampa. You have to go with them. You don't get to fully enjoy your rest until all of the brethren who, who have a land to claim have laid claim to it and have gotten established just like you have. Andrew's going to go to Vietnam. Cool, hallelujah. We're going to send them off. We're going to celebrate. It'll be good. We'll eat cake and then they're gone. No, listen, church. We are getting the same instruction that Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh were getting. You have got to go to war. And so just real quick, it walks through a couple things. He tells them, you have to pass on before your brethren. We have a responsibility to go with those that we send. Not only to go, but to even go before them. It's interesting that those who are, who are already at, at peace in their land are told to go before. You lead the charge. That's not even their land and they're leading the charge. We need to go ahead. We need to lead. We need to be with them. Even though we're not planning the church in Boston, we should be the first ones going. I mean, that's what happened. It was cool. We sent a team of pastors there. They're just going to go and start plowing. In terms of, uh, of, of types of mission support, you have a little box on the side. One, the first one is moral support. We have to be a moral support for the missionaries that we send and also for the ministry and the missions, missionaries that we support. We must be a moral support. It's more than being... Uh, it's more than just a, a pat on the fanny as they go out. It's we must be with them and they must know that we're with them. It can't be like uh, the building of the temple in Haggai where all the people are like, oh yeah, this is a great idea. Hallelujah, we're with you. Ooh, except Saturday I'm busy, so I'll be with you in spirit. I'm going to pray for you while you build the temple. Listen, temples don't get built when everyone's at home praying. And, and churches don't get planted if everyone is just... Is, is just I'm, I'm, not, I'm not knocking the power of prayer. We need to pray for real. I think what people in Haggai were doing was they were just making excuses. They're like, I'm with you in spirit. We got to be with them for real in body. Next, it said they had to be armed. Listen, we must be prepared for wars that will not benefit us directly because the focus of the war is not us alone. Some of us will have to go and fight a war in Dallas or in Denver or in Laramie or in many other places around the world. As soon as uh, planes start flying and borders start opening, we need to be in Kenya. We probably need to be in Fukuoka. We need to be in all over the place. But listen, we can't do that if we're not armed. You should be getting equipped. You should be getting trained. You need to be ready. You need to know how to use the sword. You need to know how to hold the shield. You need to know how to defend the faith. And so uh, we must be willing to get equipped for war. And this, the second type of support is this, logistical support. We, we will train worship leaders. We will train AV professionals that are super awesome at making all this work up here. We will train counselors. We need to train administrators. We need to train Bible study leaders. We need to train kid town workers. We need to train hospitality teams. All of those to go and to support the work that we're going that's being done. And as much as we can, we want to send people who are already equipped and have uh, uh, an ability in these areas and support them logistically. Next, it says that they were almighty men of valor. If you are armed, then you are expected to engage in the war. Not just here, but in other places as well. 
And the only ones exempt from mission support are those, are, are those who are not armed yet. The burden will be shared by men, by women, by children alike. The men had to go, but the women and children had to stay and had to, had to bear the, the burden that way. Some of you will, will bear the burden of mission support by supporting your husband to go or, or, or your family member. And, and we as a body will rally around uh, families that are at home for a few weeks without, a, you know, without, the, without dad, without uh, you know, husband in the house. That will be the role for some of us, but that is a role we have to take up. Financial support will be a big part of that. All the mighty men of valor, we will be asked to call on not just from our Bible knowledge, but from our pocketbooks as well. And we have to be willing to sacrifice to support the mission that is happening. Next, we're sent to help them. We cannot help uh, without asking what they need. This will be important. We must communicate with our missionaries. We must be busy in two things, prayer support and communication support. We can't just, you know, show up in Boston and go, I think I have a good idea. I know how to support you. I know I didn't ask anyone. I know this may not be what you have in mind, but trust me, this is going to be really good. I'm going to do this for you. In terms of being a help, ask Mike what would help. Ask Mark what would help. Ask Andrew how you can help them get ready, but communicate with them. And lastly, it said they had to work in, until they enjoyed their land and, so, and, and until they returned into their own land. And lastly, we, we will need to do reentry support. There will be some, like me and my family, and there will be other missionaries who, for various reasons, some good, some bad, some just because that's the way life goes, will end up back here. And we as a church, if we are supporting, have also got to become good at reentry. And not only for those who have been gone for a long time, because it's hard to come back, but when we send teams short-term, when we send you out for a week to go and work, we need to be good at processing that as well and taking what we saw and what we did and then sifting through that and pulling out principles and things that we can learn and how do we then use that to get the next group uh, further down the road before we go. So we've got to be good at re-entry for everybody. If you go... Even for a weekend on a two-by-two trip, when you come back, you have valuable knowledge that you should be teaching to, at least to our missions team, so we can disseminate it. You should keep a journal and write those things down. We need to be good at going out and coming back in. And so that is our role in terms of mission support in a really fast, from Isaiah 14 to Joshua, we covered a lot of time, and then we just covered a lot of stuff. We'll come back and put more legs to all of that, but I just wanted to, to, to drop that on you. So six ways that we can support, and that's the role of all of us. We got we to gotta be busy about that. All right, so we, we need to break up, and we need to start praying.